right. Well, welcome everyone uh, on live stream and also on the Zoom today. Sure glad you're here today. And, uh, you know, we're actually finally uh, winding up our uh, Galatians Bible study. We're in the last chapter of Galatians, Galatians 6. And um, next week we'll be starting a new Bible study basically based on uh, on worldview, looking at why things are the way they are in this world and a lot of issues uh, like that. So hopefully it'll be something that you'll be interested in and hopefully we'll have lots of people joining. Please uh, invite people to come on either the Zoom or the, or the uh, live stream. You know, we're glad to have you. Well, let's go ahead and start this Bible study um, in Galatians 6. You know, Paul comes to some practical advice about how to deal with sinners. And that's particularly addressing those who've bought into false teachings of, of false brethren. You know, the Bible's clear that in dealing with false brethren, we are to mark and avoid them. Of course, that's Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. It's like you're keeping a, a little log, <laughs> at least in your mind. This, this, these are the kind of people to avoid. But when it comes to brothers and sisters in the faith, we are to go beyond rebuke into restoring them in love. We're always uh, to deal with fellow believers by speaking the truth in love. And we know that from Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. So that's our goal is to balance those things, you know, between truth and love. There needs to be a balance there. It's not all truth and not all love. It needs to be balanced. Well, let's get into the first verses. Verse 1, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Now, these are some really great principles that Paul gives us to be able to help people who are living in sin but are willing to repent. It's not talking about the false teachers. They're not willing to repent. A few do here and there, but hardly ever. Well, let's look at verse 1. Uh, if you are living in obedience to Christ, particularly if you're an elder in the church or you've been saved for a long time, it's your job to help restore someone who's caught in sin. Those who are spiritual are usually the elders in the church. They're uniquely qualified to help younger believers 
with problems of sin as they've been through many of those sins in their own life and now are living in the victory of Christ over them. They have lots of helpful um, information to impart to those who are struggling with those things. The second point is when we're trying to help others, we must be careful not to be tempted to sin ourselves. Uh, you know, a good example of this is when a pastor agrees to counsel a woman. You know what? I am absolutely not in favor of that. Uh, he should either have his wife present or ask another female uh, person who is strong in the faith to counsel them. He should never be alone with another woman as this can cause temptation to sin. I have seen so many pastors fall because they didn't protect themselves that way. They didn't do that. Uh, you know, they're alone in the office with some woman and because they're in authority, you know, the woman kind of falls for that. Oh, it's a big mistake. There's no need to be doing that. The third point in verse two is we are to carry one another's burdens. And that's how we show love for our brothers in the Lord. Of course, we're first to put our burdens and our cares, our problems on the Lord. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Boy, is this ever a good verse for us right now. There's so many people who are overburdened with everything going on. They're just being bombarded by the media with all kinds of garbage that causes them to worry. We can put our worries on the Lord. But we are to help others to carry their burdens in life. I'm not talking about, you know, putting a... a a basket of uh, potatoes on your head and, and taking it home. But, you know, although that would qualify if you're helping someone, but I'm talking about helping others who've suffered loss, uh, those who are grieving, those who are weighed down in sin and the things in the world. We are to carry their burdens with them, actually care about them, have empathy, have sympathy and empathy. Verse 3, we need to be careful about pride rising up and blinding us to our faults. <laughs> this is what we were just talking about with David. You know, pride is one of the three most deadly sins in people. We know that the devil tempts people to the pride of life. 1 John 2.16, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's worldliness. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Uh, Proverbs 16, 18, uh, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. We know that one quite well. And Proverbs 8, 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Unfortunately, I think the Lord is finding a lot to hate 
in our current world today. Chock full of pride and arrogance. In fact, that is something that people value and think is really great, but it's not. A man of lowly spirit is the one who does not fall, is able to see his own faults, and is honored in the end. <clears throat> Somebody who <clears throat> can humbly admit that they're not perfect and that they've struggled with those things themselves is someone who people honor. They respect that. You would think, oh, well, they would not respect me. Actually, they do. They respect someone who's able to admit their shortcomings and and thank the Lord that they that the Lord has forgiven them and helped them to grow out of it. Well, verse four, uh, we should test ourselves to be sure we're not playing spiritual one-upsmanship. That's what I call it. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it's the desire to always outdo the other guy to show oneself better than someone. Unfortunately, I see a lot of this in Pentecostal churches. It's all a big game. Oh, I have the anointing. I have more of the anointing. It's horrible. It has nothing to do with true Christianity. We need to be aware that this kind of desire is always lurking beneath the surface and can rise at any time, which is why we need to continually check our motives to be sure that we're not trying to prove we're holier than thou, and to try to make others feel inferior. That is a very bad sign. Pretty much it's a, it's a test. If somebody's doing that, their relationship with the Lord is not right at all. Verse 5, we should uh, uh, do each do what the Lord calls us to do, exercising our spiritual gifts for the benefit of the church and believers. We are not to compete, but to encourage one another and help others through the use of the gifts of the Spirit that the Spirit of the Lord has given us. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, so it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Unfortunately, uh, I've been involved in organizations and churches and missions where they're doing a pretty good job, but there's a real lack of encouragement among the membership and the, those who are in charge of the organization. And that is not a good thing. That can end up really hurting people down the line. In verse 6, we find if we gain new insight in the word, we should share that with those who teach. It's a help to them. You know, teachers have an added responsibility before the Lord to teach accurately according to the written word. And a true teacher is going to be happy with any new insight you might gain from the Lord. Hey, I get insights from people all the time. It's very helpful. It's also helpful to know that sometimes I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and maybe I need to find out. Do some more study. You know, this is why we share at the end of our Bible study so that people can have can share an insight from the Lord. Uh, something that the Lord has give, shown them. 
with others and with those who, te who teach. You know, this can be a blessing to all as long as what is said is glorifying to the Lord and is correct. And that's what we should always be striving to do. Well, moving on to verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature, or his flesh, from the flesh, will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. First of all, wow, you mean a Christian can be deceived? <laughs> I know some people who are just flabbergasted at that. That's not possible. <laughs> well, yes, it is. In fact, Jesus, one of the first things he said to them when they were asking about the end times, he says, don't be deceived. He said it to his disciples. And you know what? They almost were. So, yes, we are always in danger, and the enemy is, is just almost free to do what he wants to do these days. And we have to be on our guard all the time. But this was an illustration that farmers can understand. You know, when you sow a seed of wheat, for example, you will reap wheat from the plant produced by the seed. God knows what spiritual seeds we sow. If we sow to please our sinful nature, then what we reap is not going to be good. It's destruction. But if we sow to please God, we will reap eternal life. Our motives in sowing spiritual seed, therefore, are very important. That's why we should be continually checking our motives for doing what we're doing. I remember I learned to do this when I was uh, doing a lot of music concerts all over the place. You, When you're a musician, you really have to check your motives all the time. Why am I doing this? Am I showing off? What, what am I trying to accomplish here? Very important to continue to continually do that, especially if you're a teacher or a preacher or an evangelist. Check the motives. Well, verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in, in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially those who belong to the family of believers. You know what? I know that you know what this is all about. But sometimes when we're living our lives in the Lord, we can get tired. We can get depressed. But be careful because the devil can use that weariness to basically get you more and more depressed. And if he can get you depressed then maybe he can get you distraught. And if distraught, then maybe even suicidal. This is why I do not allow myself to get depressed. I learned that many years ago. Depression just feeds on itself. It gets worse and worse. And the enemy can really use that to mess you up. Don't let him do that. Rebuke that and get right back on the, on the, on the road. Don't let the enemy take you down that, that way. Keep reminding yourself that your life is in the Lord's hands. And when he comes, 
His reward is coming with him. Thank the Lord for that. You know, Isaiah even went through a time of self-doubt and weariness. Remember, Elijah did as well. But he reminded himself of the fact that God is a just God and who will reward those who serve him. Isaiah 49.4, but I said, I have labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain for nothing. <laughs> I've said that. <laughs> but he goes on, yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. Revelation 22.12 says, behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. We're looking forward to a crown. Maybe even multiple crowns. It's hard to tell from the Bible. But we know, crown of righteousness, etc. Crown of life. You know, sometimes it seems like the hardest people to do good for are our fellow believers. But that's our first and most important task, according to Paul. We should always be looking for ways to do good for our brothers and sisters in Christ and for anyone else when God gives us the opportunity. Verse 11 says, see what large letters I use as I write you with my own hand. <laughs> Paul finishes his letter to the Galatians in his own handwriting, which was to prove his authorship. Often Paul's letters were dictated to someone else who wrote them down. And Paul here makes fun of his writing technique, but with the dual purpose of proving that it was his own handwriting. It's, it's he who wrote this. Talk about a humble man. He really was. Verse 12, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. Paul now in his own handwriting reveals the evil behind the legalistic teachers. The reason is that they couldn't bring themselves to teach the gospel of grace because their fellow Jews would persecute them for it. So rather than risk losing their Jewish friends, they made a compromised false gospel, trying to marry the old covenant with the new. Yet even they could not obey the law they wanted Gentiles to keep. That's the uh, paradox of the whole thing. What they wanted, of course, actually were followers to themselves after their own warped message. You'll find that is true often of legalistic teachers we were just talking about that with janine you know they they come up with a legalism scheme and entrap you but it's so that they can get followers to themselves verse 14 says may i never boast except in the cross of our lord jesus christ through which the world has been crucified to me and i to the world boy this is an important verse this is what we should be all about as Christians. What's our goal? This should be our goal. Not parroting back what the world's doing, but 
talking about the cross of Christ. Paul's message would never change to suit men. Paul was not afraid of persecution from the Jews or Gentiles. His ultimate goal was not to build churches or get a following to himself. His goal was to preach Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. When I come to you, brothers, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Wow. You know, we can sometimes come off like pop, pompous people when we're trying to impress everybody with our knowledge. But we need to remember what the core issue is. If people don't get saved, they're never going to understand what we're talking about, first of all. So that's what should be at the heart of our message. Paul would preach the heart of the gospel and not go around pretending that he knew everything as the Pharisees did. He actually did. He knew a lot. His teacher was Gamaliel. You know? <laughs> but he found out on the on the road to Damascus and subsequently in the in the wilderness that he didn't know anything. Yeah, he'd memorize scriptures, but he didn't know what they meant. And that's the that's the whole idea of why we have Bible studies. He would stick to the Paul would stick to the central theme of Christianity, that is the death of Jesus Christ in our place, to pay the penalty for sin and to abolish the law of sin and death. That's the, that's the core thing. Jesus Christ is the center point of everything. Uh, it was so funny because I was talking to a guy who was attending uh, Fuller at the time. <laughs> what a mistake. Doing his doctoral thesis, and his doctoral thesis was that churches shouldn't be Christocentric. <laughs> and I said to him, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's the only reason to be together. Christ is at the center of it all. The Father points to the Son. The Spirit points to the Son. It's all focused on the Son. Of course, Christian churches should be Christocentric. Verse 14, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Amen to that. The most important miracle of all is the new creation God creates in those who believe in his son. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Wow, what a great thing. We should be putting off the old on a daily basis and taking up our cross and following Christ. Verse 16, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Peace and mercy will follow those who are in Christ in the new covenant. Even Israel, if they would put their faith in the Son of God, could have peace and mercy. We need to pray for the salvation of the Jews. And frankly, that's what Moriel is all about, witnessing to the Jews. 
Verse 17, finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What marks did Paul bear? Paul bore the spiritual marks of having been crucified with Christ, as we all do. But Paul also bore the marks of spiritual persecution, as well as bodily beatings and floggings. Paul certainly suffered for Christ, and the marks of that persecution were evident in him. 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in, in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have gone, often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. You know, this was proof of his dedication to preaching Christ and him crucified. It also proved that he had borne these things in order that many Gentiles would be saved. Finally, verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Taking his farewell of them, he wishes them grace and the protection of the spirit of Christ in their spirits against the deceits of the false apostles and false teachers who labored to, be, to you know, beat false teaching into their brains. That's what they're laboring about. <laughs> but what Paul was laboring about was the gospel and you know taking that to the whole world of at the time so i want to thank those who've been on live on live stream thank you for being here today and uh we please catch catch up with us again next wednesday and thursday for